and an honor it is to uh, have this another occasion to sit down, to assemble, to think about God and His Word, and to worship, to worship our great God. We're thankful to God for blessing us with this very opportunity. Uh, if I could, just quickly, a um, uh, quick announcement. After worship, uh, we could use your help. Uh, right out here, we have uh, placed food for the homeless, and so at last time we had a great assembly line. Hopefully we can do that again, and uh, many hands make light work. So if we could line up out here and, and take one item, one bag and one item per um, for all the things that we have and place them in the bags, that would be very, very helpful. Tie the bags and just put them in the corner, and uh, we'll take care of them from there. And if you would like to help and take a bag or, or two or three or whatever number to the homeless, please feel free to do so. Uh, this is an opportunity from the church, uh, from God, to those who are less fortunate than we. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for blessing us, for bringing us here yet another day, another time, for granting to us another opportunity to worship you. Well, God, we recognize that at any moment, you will return. And we welcome your return. And thank you, Lord God, for keeping your promises. We do ask, Lord God, that you will bless us, that we'll be ready when you return. We thank you for your darling son, who made it possible for us to enter into the gates of heaven by your grace and mercy through his blessing on the cruel cross of Calvary. Please take us from worldly thoughts and place our minds right here in worship to honor and glorify your name. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Failure is not fatal. Last week we looked at uh, Thomas and Peter and I want to look at John Mark today. I want to start with John Mark because Boy, did he have an interesting situation in, in his life. And I want to go to Acts chapter 13, please. And begin reading in verse 8. And I'm going to read and think about John Mark, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. The Bible says in Acts 13 in verse 8, But Elias the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Why did John leave? We don't, we don't know that answer. But the proconsul and the whole situation 
that happened in the midst of John Mark. And, and then you, you get down to verse 12, and the proconsul believed, and others believed, and it was a successful mission. And John Mark left, went back to Jerusalem. You read that verse, and you say, well, no big deal, right? I mean, everyone's entitled to do as they wish, but for some reason, that was a problem. Turn to Acts chapter 15. I want to begin at verse 36. And we don't know what that reason was. But in verse 36, the Bible says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted. Oh, wait a minute. Now I get it. He didn't just leave. He deserted them. In other words, he left in a bad situation. He left them in a bad state. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So imagine for just a moment, arguing with one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament. Your actions caused the son of encouragement, Levi, Barnabas, to argue with the Apostle Paul and you were a part of this and you failed. You failed them. The Holy Spirit set Paul and Barnabas apart in Acts 13. And you separated that. How do we respond to our own failure? We get up and dust off the the sandals or, or the feet and just keep going for Jesus? Do we, do we give up? Have we given up? Have you given up on Jesus? Do you forgive and move forward in the relationship? Do you hold a grudge? Mark knew something that I'm I'm hoping that I know that you know already. His failure in this tough time was not fatal. I mean, it was a bad situation because the Holy Spirit set set Barnabas and Paul apart to to do the work of God. And and there's a separation because of John Mark's actions. And and he deserted them. And and he probably felt bad about it. And it, it was probably difficult for him. And he was probably... A little humiliated, but but he kept going for Jesus. Because you read the scriptures, turn to Colossians, please, chapter 4. You find that there's this name of this gentleman who has not given up. He did not allow his failure. The one incident that we read about in scriptures regarding John Mark. To define him and to bring a fatal blow to his spiritual relationship with God. You know, sometimes guilt can do that. Sometimes guilt can, you know, make you just give up, right? 
A lot of Christians have given up on God because of guilt. A lot of folks have said, I can never come to God because of guilt. Guilt is a, a very strong enemy of the cross. But if you will, in Colossians 4 and verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends his greetings, and also Barnabas, cousin Mark, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark? Wait, in Colossae? Yeah, he's, he's still doing God's work. Wherever he is, he's still doing God's work. Turn to, turn to Philemon for just a moment. Philemon, I want to look at the thought. You, you would think, no, you, you got to give up. You messed up. Verse 24. As do this greeting, the greeting, by the way, the greeting. As do Mark, there's Darkness, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. They greet you. Fellow worker? Wait. Mark continued to serve his Lord, our Lord, in good times and in tough times. And we need to remember to remind ourselves that our own failures and the failures of others are not necessarily fatal. We must forgive ourselves and others. And we must keep on keeping on for the Lord. Life happens, right? And we struggle. And I I don't know about you, but I failed the Lord a time or two. I failed other people a time or two. I failed myself a time or two. But don't ever give up. Keep on marching forward for the Lord. And maybe during this pandemic, maybe maybe some of you haven't been online. You know, you're here today. Thank you for being here. You're online. Thank you for being online. But maybe you haven't been as faithful online or here. And you want to make a difference. And you want to change. You want to know how easy it is? Just change. That, that's how easy God is, right? You say, you know, preach, I'm going to come back. But then come back. Right? It's just that simple. It's just that easy with the Lord because Jesus says he'll work in you. And he'll help you along the way if you will just trust in him. And you know what's great about God? Turn to Luke chapter 9. What I love about God and the relationship with the Lord is that God doesn't expect you to keep wallowing in the mire and looking backwards. You know, yesterday's problems are yesterday. They're dead and gone. Yesterday's issues are yesterday. They're dead and gone. Just get your life right with God today if it isn't. And don't worry about yesterday. Walk forward with Jesus right now, today. Our Lord said in Luke 9, 62, Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Turn to Philippians, please. Chapter 3. No one. 
no one. You see, when you, when you put your hands to the plow and you look back, your lines are crooked. No, Jesus says that's not how Christianity works. In God, in Christ, you walk forward with Jesus and stop looking backwards. If you look backwards, you focus on your failures. If you look forward, you walk with Jesus. And it's the blood of Jesus that makes us right. So Paul, the, he says, I, I am the chief, right? You've read it a thousand times over. No one can out Paul. At least he said that to himself in his own mind. I think some folks have tried to challenge that. But Paul says in, in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. May be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith. And then in verse 13, he says, I'm not saying I've arrived, brethren, right? He says, but, but brethren, I, I, I do not regard myself as having a little hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Think about Paul. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes, stands up in the pulpit, says, I'm going to preach a sermon to you, but first I want you to know, yeah, I messed up. I was the first year of the church. I did wrong, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then starts preaching Jesus. And then next Sunday, he does the same thing. And Sunday night, he does the same thing. And then on Monday, he does the same thing. Everywhere he goes, no, that's not how you serve Christ. you got to let the things go that you made right with God. Listen, never hold yourself accountable for something that God has forgiven you of. Let it go. Turn it loose and press on. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. John Mark, 2 Timothy, please, chapter 4. John Mark, no, no, he didn't give up. He didn't allow that, that embarrassing moment in his life. To mark him up for life. That failure was not fatal for him. Paul giving his final instruction to Timothy. He says in chapter 4 verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for service. I need him now. Wow. How about that? What if... What if Paul has just written him off? When you have a need, all of a sudden, I need Mark. I need John Mark. No, you wrote him off, bro. We got to be careful how we walk this walk of faith. So Mark, who was uh, labeled a deserter, right? Who, who we, we read, we see he was a, a divider uh, of the faith, if you will. He divided Paul and Barnabas who were set aside or set apart by the Holy Spirit. And yet he possessed this, this amazing and, and blessed character. Though he was publicly criticized, he stayed faithful and true to God. 
He could not quit. He may have wanted to at time or two, but he didn't give up. After his failure, you know what he could have said? He could have said, you know, I, I went on this mission trip and I tried, but um, this is just not me. I, I can't do this. I quit. I give up. I tried. I'm done. But that's not what he did. He could have said, you know, you know, I'm not going to be a Christian any longer. Because you know what? If, if, if the brethren are going to treat me like this, especially Paul, I'm never going to go back. That's not what he did. He stayed with the Lord, faithful and true. No excuses, no justification. He just went on and did the work of God. Failure is not fatal. So I wanted Mark to introduce us and start us out. And, and, and then I wanted to use Paul, the, you know, the chief of sinners, to bring us to another man. He's way back in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 33. And I want to go back here to this man because I want to look at two extremes. You know, the greatness of God. And I want us to look at two extremes. The first of the two, Manasseh. Now, um, you almost can't get any worse as far as a human being than Manasseh. I mean, Ahab was really bad, but Manasseh... Um, yeah, he, he tips, he, he tips the bar. <laughs> He's the one who is, if you will, in the Old Testament, worse than the Gentiles. The worst of the worst. Listen to what it says about him. And he started young. Verse 1 of Second Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Now you might ask, wait a minute, I, I don't get this. Why is he reigning 55 years, one of the longest reigning kings of all the Old Testament. Why did God let him reign for so long if he was so bad? We'll come back to that one. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. But evil doesn't quite define it. Let's keep going. Verse 5. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the courts of the house of the Lord. Right? So, so imagine you, you, you go away and you come back in, in 10 years and in this building you got statues of all these idol gods. You go, whoa, what, what, what happened? What, what, what happened? Well, that's what he did. In verse 6. And he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. You know, he's pushing all of God's buttons, right? Provoking God, pushing all of God's buttons. And then verse 9. Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed by the sons of Israel. In other words, he says Manasseh turned Israel into a people worse than the Canaanites whom God sent to destroy. Manasseh was a very, very horrible individual. 
verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. He wouldn't listen. I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. He failed miserably. He lived a terrible life. He did horrible things. But you know, there's something in the scripture about God being patient. God being patient. Not willing at any perish, but for all to come to repentance. And when it came to the reckoning of his sins, it's amazing when you read the scriptures of how patient God was. And then listen to verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them. And they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now I want you just for a moment to just pause. Imagine Manasseh was amongst us. And, and God took him away with hooks. And he was suffering. And then he came to us for help. We might say, yeah, right. Aren't you glad God is not like us? He humbled himself. And he entreated God. And in verse 13, when he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Wait, wait, wait. So so in all that evil that Manasseh was living, in all of that evil, he didn't know that God was God. He thought God was like all the other gods, the idol gods of the lands. And so he served all of the gods. And he did it well. What I mean by that is, if you're going to be evil, he said, I'll show you evil. He was very evil and very wicked. But you know what? His failure wasn't fatal. If God gives you time, today's another day. Do I need to get something right with God? God gave Manasseh just one more chance. And Manasseh repented of his sins, turned his life around. And when you read it, the man turned everything around. He turned it all around. He served God and feared God for the rest of his life. Wow. 55 years he reigned. Most of those years evil. But when he turned around, he really turned around. His failure wasn't fatal. He's the worst of the worst. Let's look at one of the best. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. We have two extremes. We have the extreme of Manasseh who was uh, the wickedness of the wicked, if you will. Very, very evil. And then we have the humble, obedient servant named Moses. Verse 3 of chapter 12. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face 
of the earth. Exodus, please, chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And Moses was so close to God that you read this passage in verse 7 and, and following of, of Exodus 33 where, where God talks about how his relationship was with Moses. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meetings, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze at the Moses until he entered the tent. And it came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each to the entrance of the tent. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses mouth to mouth, face to face, right? Mouth to mouth. Just as a man speaks to his friend, when Moses returned to the camp, his servants Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. What a, what a relationship. But what I want to show you is that Here's this close, godly man, right? Close and godly, this close, godly relationship with God. And Manasseh was very, very far away from God. But the only consistent part is God. God is consistent. Whether we are close to God in service or far away from God, God is patient and wants everyone to be saved. Moses, the man of God, did he fail? Yeah. Even a man of God, right? Hey, church, never think you can't fail and you won't fail. If you haven't already, you will. Because we're not, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And I'm not saying necessarily you'll fail God, but you're going to fail at something. None of us are perfect. Numbers chapter 20. And I know you know that. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, and Aaron. I want to go back to verse 6. I'm sorry, I need to go back and get the context. Verse 6. And Moses and Aaron came in the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meetings and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation to speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water from them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beast drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? You know, Moses was so frustrated, so upset with these people. I mean, the rebellious people. He called them rebels. And 
And God says, speak to the rock. But he was so upset, so angry, so frustrated with the people, he let his anger just come out, right? Verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? He even forgot who to give the glory to, didn't he? Aaron and I are going to do this. No, you're not. It's God, right? But see, he got so frustrated, he kind of forgot some things, didn't he? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beast drank. The only consistent thing in our lives, even in our failures, is God. Water still came out. And Moses took the rod and his anger and frustration refused to give glory properly to God. And he didn't just strike the rock. He struck it twice in his anger. Can't lose your control, brethren. As Christians, we can't lose our control. We have to stay humble and meek Because the only consistent thing is God. When you lose your control, and when you forget about God, and you refuse to honor God properly, you're going to suffer too. Even a good man like Moses. And in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And maybe, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. Maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if it wasn't that Moses was striking the rock. It's that Moses was striking the rock. That's the problem. Verse 4 says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock is Christ. His disobedience to honor God properly. Church, let me give you a relationship thought. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Church, when we become frustrated, with one another when we when we live our lives in such a way that it 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 reduces the relationship that we have with God you know who suffers when I do it I suffer you know who else suffers God you know what I've seen in the church I know you've seen it you've seen it before maybe you've done it where we we bicker amongst each other and then we say you know what I'm not going to church any longer worship the one who suffers is God what did he do what did he do 
you got to stay true, right? And in this pandemic, I know it's tough, but you got to stay true to God. Right? You got to stay true. And I know it's tough, but you got to stay true to God. Why does God have to suffer for the failure of humanity? The pandemic is not a failure. But we are failing. You know why? You know what happens? Okay. So we're frustrated. The world's frustrated. We're angry. The world's angry. We're uptight. Right? The world, you look on the news and people have gone mad. And then it seems like in almost every episode, when when you look at a, a, a television show or a movie or whatever it is, it, they depict humanity in such a way that's so accurate and so true that it's kind of sickening. There's no one on the earth but these, these maybe 10 or 50 people or whatever the number is. And eventually, what do they start doing? They start fighting each other, don't they? And then they can be fighting werewolves and, and dogs or whatever it is they're fighting against. But eventually, humans are going to say, okay, there's the enemy, that, that lion is the enemy, but we're going to turn our attention from the lion, and we're going to start beating each other up. It's just so typical. That's not what Jesus wants us to do. But our failure, church, won't prove fatal. The church will stand. But I wonder what kind of condition we'll be in when we come through this pandemic. Don't you? What kind of condition will we be in? What kind of hearts that were maybe softened at one time will become hardened? What kind of condition will we be in as God's people when this is through? The only consistent thing is God. I'm not calling God a thing. I'm saying it's always God who's always consistent. And here it is, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. And there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. Can you imagine how gentle and caring God was as he took the body of Jesus and laid it somewhere, buried it. Because God is always the same. We have to learn to be, even after having been done wrong or struggle or the pandemic or whatever's going on in our lives, to be consistently Christian in our attitudes and thoughts. But whatever happened in the past is in the past. Today I, I pray that our failures will not be fatal. Today I pray that whatever whatever's gone on in your life, you haven't been as as faithful to the Lord in the past. Maybe today is that day. And you're turning around and let the past go. Let, let the bygone be bygone. Make it right with God, right? And just be faithful and true from this day forward. Move forward 
in your relationship to Christ. Perhaps today, you're not a child of God. You're not a Christian. And you're tired of living in the world and you want to live for Jesus. We invite you to come to Christ today after having heard His Word and believed it and have godly sorrow in your heart, making that great confession and being baptized in mercy and water for the remission of your sins. And then after you've done that, don't look back. Look forward and walk with Jesus. If there's anything we can do to help this morning in any way,